Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. How about, what's your favorite Western? Rolling, 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 rolling. We let Jen go first because... No, it's not one of my favorite genres, so I'm going to have to think about it for a minute. What if I opened the bidding with blazing saddles? (laughs) That doesn't count. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello again, I'm Lou Katz, here to welcome you to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And now that you're aware of that, please welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, the highly respected and never-rejected entertainment critic, the one, the only, you lover, Jen Chaney. I don't know about never-rejected, but okay. And from the sunset screening room of the ancient Mariner, we welcome again Arch Campbell. Yes, the sun is going down in every room I enter. But nevertheless, here we are. And what a time. And it's another week of streaming and uh, cable. And Jim, what can we look forward to this week? As always, there's plenty. Uh, for starters. <laughs> I just keep thinking that they're gonna run out no no it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen they're already going back into production whatever drought we thought we were gonna have not happen they are back in production a lot of a lot of shows are back in production yeah widescreen (laughs) how are they gonna do that what do you mean Uh, yes i mean so hd so one person is on you know are they gonna be six feet apart I mean, you know, Tyler Perry was doing it by putting everybody in a bubble, like, and shooting the whole show very quickly um, down in Atlanta. I mean, they're they're doing all the things that other other places do with COVID protocols and giving them tests and temperature checks and uh, and then of course if something happens right. they have to shut down, um, which has been the case right. as we, as we saw with um, you know Robert Pattinson and the Batman movie when Batman mm. gets. Things kind of have to shut down for a couple of weeks. Gosh. So, you know, hope for the best, I guess. Well, but in any case, we do. Here's a show that was already filmed before COVID, which is why we can now watch it uh, on mm-hmm. Friday on Netflix. It's called Emily in Paris. It's mm-hmm. a new Dan Star show uh, and stars Lily Collins as a uh, young woman working in marketing who is sent to Paris to work with a, a French boutique firm that her company has acquired. And, um, you know, the French don't really like her so much. She shows up for work on the first day with an Eiffel Tower shirt on, and, and you know, they just don't care for it. Uh, it's uh, it's very much in keeping with Darren Starr's work. It's reminiscent of Sex and the City. Patricia Field did the costume. It, to me, it's a compliment to uh, a series I really love called Younger. There's also a Darren Starr show. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. It's escapist. It's a rom-com. Everyone at Vulture who's watched it, even if they didn't love it, they've like gobbled it up in like a day. Uh, Several of my friends have mentioned this to me already and have uh, started watching it and find it delightful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's if you're trying to escape from reality, this is the way. Not to quote The Mandalorian about Emily in Paris, but it, but it, it really right. is. <laughs> So that's out on Friday. Also out on Friday is a new anthology series on Hulu called Monsterland, which I've only watched the first episode. It's an anthology, so every episode is different. Um, but it's it, if you're going in thinking it's going to be traditional horror, it, it isn't quite that, at least from what I've heard and from what I saw in the first episode, which Caitlin Deaver is, is the main star of that one, and she gives a, a really terrific performance. But it's as much about, you know, things that scare us, like in our personal lives, as it is like, quote unquote, monsters, 
I would say. So that's coming on Friday as well. That's interesting in this time where we're all afraid to touch surfaces and breathe around other people and eat around other people. That's that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And speaking of COVID, Saturday Night Live returns this Saturday back in really? Studio 8H with an audience. Huh. And I, I assume the audience is not going to be as full as it normally is, but yeah. what they're doing with the cast and crew and also apparently with anybody who's in the audience, you show up, you get a rapid COVID test right there. If you, really? if you fail it, you can't go in to 30 Rock. If, you, if you're if you okay, you go in. I mean, I wish we all could get these kind of rapid COVID tests that uh, Lauren Michaels can get for everybody. <laughs> it would be huh. nice. But huh. but every day, he said, um, one of my colleagues interviewed, was the first person to interview Lauren about the new season and said, he said every day when they show up for work, they get a rapid COVID test every single day and they can't go in if, if it's positive. And so far, wow. no one's been positive. And uh, of course, Chris Rock is hosting because of Fargo, right. which I've started watching which you uh, recommended last week and I like it I mean it's not as great as the movie and maybe not as great as the first season of Fargo but still I like it it's just this big historic crime story set in 1950 and it's interesting to me that uh, Chris Rock has a little age on him and Mm -hmm. I suppose it's the character he's playing but but it is also true that Chris Rock is older than we remember him. I, I I imagine Chris Rock is in his late 40s now. I think he's older than that. Yeah, he might, you know, he's got gray hair in this, and I wonder if he's got gray hair uh, in person. I, I said late 40s to be nice. I bet he's in his 50s. Yeah, he's. I, I just checked. He's 55. Wow. Well, th- that's kind of interesting. I, I just, I like Fargo. It's uh, the crime syndicate in Kansas City. First- it's it's uh, the Jewish crime syndicate, and then the Irish take over from the Jewish crime syndicate, and then the Italians take over, and now the blacks are taking over. And uh, you know, I just I like that stuff. So I'm I'm a fan of Fargo. I'm, I'll I'll watch Saturday Night Live to see what Chris Rock has to say. Well, so it's obviously we're gonna have um, Maya Rudolph back as Kamala Harris. I'm also America's cool aunt. <laughs> A fun ant. I call that a funt. They've signed up Jim Carrey to play Joe Biden this year. So I'm sure oh. we'll see a, a um, version of the debate uh, with Jim Carrey and, and Alec Baldwin. Uh, you know, last there. week you mentioned Brendan Gleeson playing Trump as a more um, uh, sinister, uh, dangerous character. And I think Saturday Night Live would be... Um, improve to get someone beside Alec Baldwin. We, Not that, you know, what Baldwin did is not of value. It certainly was very funny and all, but I, I am wondering if this is a time to, to get somebody else to do it. They won't, but I'm just throwing yeah. that in. I, I agree. I would I would like to see just a different version of it. And and to be honest, I don't even think Alec Baldwin is is dying. Yeah, to he's tired doing of it. it. Yeah, but as far as I know, he's still going to be doing it. So sure. Well, okay. So that's so that's Saturday. And then one more thing to mention, which is on Sunday night on Showtime, The Good Lord Bird, which was supposed to debut earlier this year, is finally going to debut. This is a limited series um, in which Ethan Hawke plays John Brown, the abolitionist, who is oh. quite. Oh. a character. I, I've only watched the first episode, but my God, what a performance Ethan Hawke is giving mm. in this thing. 
Um, and it's really a pet project of his because he, I believe he co-wrote it. Um, he's a producer and, and he plays John Brown. And it's based on a book, which I have not read the book, but um, I have a feeling you'll be really interested in it. It's pre-Civil War era, obviously, since uh, he's, he's at least partially responsible for starting the Civil War. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a drama, but it has some kind of weird, dark humor running through it that, that was unexpected and from my point of view. Uh, and that I really liked, but Ethan Hawke is just giving a, a huge hell of a performance. The John Brown re, uh, uh, Rebellion, don't we have, isn't, isn't much of that uh, refers to our area, like Harper's Ferry? Harper's Ferry, that's right, yes. Yeah. yeah, so that's another reason. I've been wanting to mention to you for a long time, and we've always had so much to talk about, but I haven't had the time to get in it in, is... Uh, I watched a movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Have you seen mm. that? I've been meaning to watch it and I haven't gotten around to it yet. <laughs> it's written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, who of course has done so many uh, uh, wonderful quirky movies, including Being John Malkovich and Adaptation and The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Man with uh, Jesse Plemons and uh, Jesse Buckley. Is Jesse Buckley in Fargo? She is. She, she's the nurse in Fargo. Yes. She, she seems to be uh, suddenly prominent. A mm -hmm. young couple are driving to visit his parents and things get stranger and stranger as they go to make their visit. And they wind up in his high school. And uh, suddenly the finale turns into an allegory with touches of uh, the ballet from Oklahoma. And it's just this mind blowing. And I really, it's the kind of, you know, it's that kind of movie that, that we would go to the Avalon to see at 10 o'clock in the morning or at Landmark and you, you fling your leg over the seat in front of you. And uh, it's just one of those quirky things that going to the movies, uh, that made going to the movies so much fun. Uh, and I would highly recommend it. I forget what it's on. I should. It's on Netflix. Is it Netflix? Yeah. I just thought it was delightful. You know, there's one last thing to mention before we take a break. This week in the Washington Post, writer Megan McArdle wrote in the Washington Post, don't expect people to go back to the movies. And she cited two changes that uh, this time has wrought. One is uh, the financial backing of movies, and she cites Tenant as uh, going to, you know, not, not doing anything like the blockbuster business they need to financially support films. And the other is just the changing of habits in America. And she says, just, just don't expect people to go back to movie theaters. And what is your reaction uh i read that piece and i wasn't totally persuaded that that's the case i just think there's still too much unknown and i think part of the problem still is that some of our biggest markets are, still aren't back open to have theaters new york city mm -hmm. no theaters open los angeles no theaters open obviously mm -hmm. here in dc same situation so it's really hard to gauge whether people would go back or not if we could have snl rapid testing outside every theater <laughs> i think a lot of people would go back <laughs> And the other thing is, I don't think the theaters have exhausted all of their options. I know we've talked about this before, but 
just let people start doing the thing where they buy out a theater and they have their 10 friends, like at every single theater. There, there's mm -hmm. a few doing it, like Cinema Arts, I noticed is doing it. I believe uh, the Alamo, at least uh, one of the locations in, in Austin, I think is doing it. I Sounds don't like know, Alamo would do. Yeah, I don't know why more theaters aren't just doing that. If they're not getting business, I think there are people who would feel comfortable like, hey, we're each gonna pitch in 20 bucks to see Tenet and feel comfortable that we are all safe. I just think they need to, before, before you throw in the towel, you've got to get as creative as possible. And I haven't seen that happen yet. You know, uh, in the years I was working, uh, the $10 movie ticket was always the bar people were worried about. And now it seems to be the $30 price. <laughs> I mean, we exceeded the $10, you know, a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, people pay... 16, 17 bucks to go to a movie on, under normal circumstances. If you really wanted to go and you wanted to be, you wanted to have that sense of, of comfort, like wouldn't it be worth it to you maybe? I don't yeah. know. It just, I'm sure, it, I'm, I know it caught your attention, certainly caught mine and, and it's speculation. Oh, who knows? We don't know. It could be that old people like me don't go back to movies. I grieve that. I have so many fond memories of sitting in a mostly empty theater, whether I was at a screening or paying for it, and discovering some gem like I'm thinking of ending things and seeing it in, in the darkened auditorium. And, you know, what are we going to say? The cases keep going up like the, the nationally they're going up again and i was yeah. i was looking at the, the you know new york times has a breakdown that they constantly update and there's like sections of tennessee where it's like one in i don't know like seven people it, it, that's the per capita mm -hmm. proportion of, of people who have it like that's crazy mm -hmm. that shouldn't be going on anymore and until we get a handle on that this is gonna this is all this stuff is going to be a problem we do know that movie theaters were sticky petri dishes. <laughs> there was an allied uh, advertising rep who ran a movie theater for a while and used to just double me over with the stories of things that went on <laughs> in movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I miss going to screenings and, and watching people get kicked out of the press seats. Those were the good old days. <laughs> Someone had to get forcibly so, removed from the press seats at a, a screening of Ray, I think it was. Coming up, we have a visit with this week's guest critic, a woman of taste and discernment, who will catch us up on her world. She's Beethoven's favorite disc jockey. That's all I'm going to tell you. But first, let's enter Lou's world. Well, here's how we can do that with a little tease of what we do every Sunday night at 9 o'clock at houndradio.com. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic stiff. Came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at houndradio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. 
the movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. This week we are most delighted to welcome a friend of the podcast as our guest critic. She is best known, of course, as Beethoven's favorite disc jockey. She is the morning host on WETA-FM in Washington, our town's classical music station, it's such a delight to say hello to Linda Carducci. Yes. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, listen, Beethoven was notoriously a tough customer. So <laughs> if I can meet that standard, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Did he ever call in on the request line? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's very interesting that the ratings for classical music, I know in Washington, and I believe in other cities around the country, mm -hmm. have soared because we're all at home and we're not going to work and because of the pandemic. And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's true. Um, in the spring, when the pandemic was starting to, to really hit in Washington, D.C., and people were advised to stay home, WETA became the number two music station in Washington, wow. D.C. Yeah, wow. and, and num number five overall of all, all the stations. And we noticed that people were tuning in in the morning more than they had before. And importantly, were staying with us throughout the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, time spent listening increased, um, numbers of people increased. So, the, so the, all the ratings went up. So that was about number, well, they were number two mu in music stations in the spring. Maybe things leveled off just a bit in um, in August and July and June. Actually, I think in, they were. I think the station came in at number seven for each of those months, which is still pretty good. Um, it's one of the highest rated uh, classical stations in the country. Has that changed the atmosphere now? Are you all uh, walking around with your chests puffed up? And <laughs> No, we're, like, we're, like we're, in the days when Lou was on Q107 yeah, or Wash. Right. No, but you know what has made us feel so good is we've been getting these unsolicited comments. But we particularly received them in, in the spring and early summer of people saying how much they loved classical WTA. And it was classical music that was sustaining them and giving this, them a little bit of joy and a little bit of beauty and certainty in, in uh, days that were very uncertain and scary. You know, scores of comments coming in from people um, unsolicited to, to that effect. So I guess, and people were discovering us too because they were working at home more. So the commuting um, trends, the typical commute was upended because <laughs> people were working at home and um, not interacting with as many people in the office because they were working at home. So WETA turned out to be a, a nice companion for them. So I think that, that entire brew um, made the station um, a little higher in the ratings than it normally is. So I think the last ratings I saw, Arch, were for August, and I think they were holding steady at number seven. Well, well you're number one with me. Oh, thank you. Hey, I, I, you know, I appreciate your being there. Uh, the first time I heard you on WETA, I noticed your voice. You have a beautiful voice and oh, uh, a resonant, a great resonant voice. And, oh, uh, and I very much enjoy your work. And I mentioned you to Lou and he says, well, you know, I used to, she used to work on the, uh, on the album Rock Station. <laughs> True. What, what a wide, you, you, did, you did underground rock and now you do classical music. Yeah, but it's come full cycle because I was a music major in school, piano, classical. And then I went to work for the Pittsburgh Symphony for a couple of years um, during the Andre Previn years. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing a, you know, classical during the day and at night I was working at the rock station in Pittsburgh, but 
I moved down here and started working in uh, classic rock, and then that just evolved eventually. So here's a here's a real <laughs> out of left field question. Did you ever talk to Andre Previn about being Woody Allen's father-in-law? No. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm going to answer that for you and say, <laughs> okay. I guess not. No, so. no, 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 I guess not. Um, you're right. He was Woody <laughs> Allen's father-in-law. I want to tell our podcast listeners that Linda is blushing. <laughs> and I'm blushing <laughs> a little bit too. Well, now we asked you to come on today as our guest critic. Every now and then, I think it's a lot of fun to have a civilian <laughs> not not someone who reviews movies and, and television all the time to tell us what they're watching. So Linda, tell us, what are you watching? Okay, I will. And if you don't mind, I'd love to get your reaction to see if you've if you've watched any of these and what your thoughts were, if that's okay. okay. I've, I've watched three older movies lately. One mm. is The Horse Whisperer with Robert Redford and Kristen Todd Thomas. Wow. So beautifully photographed. You can imagine. I think they were in Wyoming or Montana or something. And just and is that is that uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson's debut? I don't know if it's her debut. Yeah, but she's a she's a little girl in that movie. Wow. Oh, and the music is lovely, and the story is heart wrenching. So I, I definitely recommend that. That came out in 1998, and I just happened to see it a couple of months ago. The other one is what I saw the other day was Death in Venice, which is based on the novella by Thomas Mann. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that came out in the 70s. Um, I think an, an Italian director, but it was filmed in um, in Venice, Death in Venice. Right. It's a, it's right. a, it's a tragedy, but um, the reason why I wanted to watch it is because two years after the movie was made. The movie was made in 71. In 73, the English composer Benjamin Britten wrote an opera about the novella. Mm. He based it more on the novella rather than, than the film that Visconti did. And so he was a little bit truer to the novella. And WETA is presenting that this coming Saturday uh, on Opera House. So I wanted to make sure I really un understood the story. <laughs> And so. slipping in a plug. A little, a little, a little, yes, a little, little plug. obvious plug there. What a professional. <laughs> What Why a professional, not? I gotta tell you. <laughs> so um, I, I would, I'm on the fence about recommending that. I think it was a little over dramatic, but. And, and the I'm interesting thing to me about this time is that people are picking up older movies that they remember and loved. And, uh, yeah. and so, you know, I think that's very valid. Great. You, you've got one more. Yes, and then I have a Netflix thing, but the, do you remember a 1952 movie called limelight and it, it oh is yes of course yes chaplin yes it, it was a charles charles chaplin was i think 60 when he mm -hmm. and he started the movie and i think he may have written the, the, the script i'm not quite sure but he's an older man and he portrays an older man and it's a talkie and i'd never seen charlie chaplin or anything young or mm -hmm. old but but this one was rather touching with a very young claire bloom who right. bringing this full cycle was in Woody Allen movie in I think believe the 1980s Crimes and Misdemeanors. Wow! Uh, yeah. and uh, Chaplin wrote the theme for Limelight, I think. Oh, did he? Yeah, I forget what the and then they they did a pop version of it. Chaplin wrote music, and it isn't there. There's a scene with him and Buster Keaton. Yes, yes, exactly right. Yes, and I understand that they were friends in real life. Oh, yes. I remember opening day of Limelight back in 52. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I okay. saw a revival of it back in the 70s. 
I see. So, was, uh, and anything know. on Netflix for you? Yes, we saw the first um, the first season of Virgin River, sort of a soap opera, and I understand that they're gonna they're gonna continue with the series um, pretty soon in, in its second season. I'm not sure I would highly recommend it. It's a little soap opera ish, but it's kind of fun. Well, that's those are very interesting, and and of course cultural, as I would expect from you. Uh, you know, every time I talk to you, I love to ask you. Uh, I would have loved to have been a classical music announcer because I love classical music and my father loved it. And uh, I studied music a little bit in school and was terrible at it, but I can't pronounce the names. Uh. And the names over the years have gotten even more unpronounceable for me. <laughs> so true. I love to ask you, who have you been introducing lately? Well, I will tell you last week, we um, featured a chamber music group that I believe is based in, in uh, Scandinavia, mm -hmm. but they took the name of uh, an Italian painter by the name of Modigliani. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a beautiful Italian name. And I'm really thrilled that they took that name. So they yeah, called themselves yeah. the Modigliani Quartet. Oh. And yeah, that was kind of fun. And um, speaking of, of that part of the world, there's a, um, a Finnish ensemble from, from Finland. Uh -huh. And they, uh -huh. they call themselves the Symphonia Finlandia Yvaskule. <laughs> and, and, and you'd never know it from looking at how it's spelled, you know. <laughs> so believe me, I use every online source I can to, uh, to get audio on pronunciations. And I would have called it the Symphonia Finlandia Vascular. <laughs> yeah, 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 it looks, kind of looks like that. Linda, I want to ask you a question about the programming on ETA. During the pandemic, has the music changed? Did you notice that the, that the programming is a little different? Have they changed the balance of, of, of some of the more, I want to say contemporary, but can you explain to us what, if, if ever, uh, has happened with the music there? Yeah, it's a good question, because when the uh, pandemic first started and people were starting to panic and were writing to us and saying, oh, you're, you're giving us a sense of calm that we need during this uh, difficult time, WTA incorporated these moments where they would call moments of calm, and it was a particular mm -hmm. piece of music that was, that was calming. And those things would air, I'm not sure if it was every hour or something like that, but these were these particular moments and they were highlighted that way as moments of calm. So they were, they were softer pieces, maybe more, more lower tempo pieces, pretty melodies than we might normally fit in on that, on that kind of frequency. But I think those have been kind of now sort of integrated into the, into the playlist. So we don't highlight them anymore, we just play them. Other than that, no, I don't really think there's been a, a big change in the music programming. Well, you mentioned the uh, Finnish quartet, and I think that's a good way for us to finish. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Except so, to say, that you're a great friend of this podcast and you have allowed us to use your beautiful voice, which I so admire, oh, uh, reminding people that we come to you from a secret underground bunker <laughs> buried beneath Bethesda, Maryland. I and, see. Uh, Linda, I listen to you every morning and I uh, so enjoy your work and just want to uh, encourage you and tell you how much we uh uh, thank of you. Oh, thank you so much, Arch. It's very sweet of you. Thank you. I do. I do think of you sometimes when I'm on the air. I know that you're a, a, 
a very um, fervent listener and a great supporter to WETA. So I thank you for that. And, and I, know, I know you're knowledgeable about it too. So when we're talking about a piece, you're familiar with a, a lot of these, and especially some of the, um, the, in, the classic recordings from the 60s. Right. Yes, when people, when everybody was listening to Jefferson Airplane, I was listening to Van Cliburn. <laughs> I'm just a you, little bit out of step. Linda, thank you so much for being with us. Our dear friend, Linda Carducci, our guest critic. And we're going to watch Death in Venice and listen to the opera of it just because of you. you. Thank you for inviting me, both of you. I hope you both are well. And by the way, congratulations on the great ratings that uh, WETA and the whole crew have produced over there. You should be very proud. Very cool. Thank you, Lou. I will pass that along. Thank you. Okay, so here we are again uh, with Jen. And this is where Jen challenges us with final words and best bets. And I'm getting to where I'm very fond of this segment because you always come up with something I'm semi-embarrassed to admit, (laughs) such as my first album was uh, Van Cliburn playing Tchaikovsky. I don't think that's embarrassing. Did that make the list? I meant to look at, excuse me? I said, it's not rock and roll, but it's not embarrassing. Did did, uh, the Van Cliburn recording make uh, Rolling Stones list of... I I uh, don't believe so. I I, I believe they left that off, unfortunately. (laughs) I could also mention Switched on Bach. Do you remember that? Vaguely. William Carlos Williams, before he became Wendy Carlos Williams. He put Bach into a Moog Moog synthesizer. That was big in the 60s. I I don't think this is helping your case, honestly. (laughs) Okay, so... What what will you challenge us with this week? Okay, I don't think this is going to be embarrassing for anybody. And, and I also reserve the right to return to this topic uh, again uh, within the next month, which is what is one of, if not your favorite political film, a film that you would say people should, you know, should watch in this election season? Uh, my favorite political film, and it comes right to the top of my mind, is Being There with... Um, Peter Sellers. On television, Mr. President, you look much smaller. Dumb as a jackass. He's um, sort of a savant, a mentally challenged person who lives in the attic of a house in D.C. And his, uh, his, um, the guy who uh, has enabled him dies and he's thrown out into the world where uh, he suddenly becomes um, uh, a, a character of great wisdom <laughs> at the end <laughs> is running for president. Did you ever see being there, Jim? No, I haven't seen it. Oh my God. Um, in fact, that's one of my all time favorite movies. It was one of Peter Sellers last movies being there directed by Hal Ashby. And I think it opened in 1980 and it's, it's, the man is an idiot, and everything he says is mistaken for deep wisdom. And they made it 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very forward-thinking. Jerzy Kaczynski wrote the novel, and and that's, that's mine. Louis, what about you? I can't remember the name of the movie, but I think it was Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman. They were Wag like... The dog. That's it. Wag the dog. Sexual misconduct occurred inside the Oval Office. 
With the election only days away, how much will this scandal affect the outcome? The president spent the weekend pressing the flash. He wasn't campaigning, he was dating. Now, have you ever seen The Candidate? Yeah. With I Red need to Ford? watch that. My mother loved that movie. I need to watch that. It's, the, it's so prescient. And The Candidate is at least 50 years old now. Yeah, I believe so, it's on HBO Max, actually, for people who want to watch it. You know, uh, the other day you were talking about films that don't pass the test of time, including One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And, uh, and it is amazing when you see a movie like The Candidate that does pass the test mm -hmm. of time. Yeah. So, so now the big reveal, what's your favorite political movie? Well, I, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely like top five, um, Dick. Ah. Which I remember seeing at a, at a DC press screen and I, I, just, I just wasn't sure what it was gonna be. And from the very, very first minute when you see like Will Ferrell as, as Bob Woodward and they're on the cable show and they're Woodward and Bernstein are like getting into an argument. Oh my God, that movie is so funny. <laughs> it, was, it was on like PBS or something randomly like a, a month ago or so. And I, uh -huh, uh -huh. and I just started watching it again. It, uh, for people who haven't seen it, it's, it's about the Watergate scandal, but as if two teenage girls played by Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams were actually the ones who were involved in making sure that everything kind of happened. But we never knew that part of the story. We heard that tape. What'd you hear? You kick checkers, you're a bad man. We've got problems. Very funny and 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 clever and uh, I and and cathartic to watch when uh, Nixon flies away in his helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So there's uh, there's three uh, three or four movies to watch: Wag the Dog, Dick, The Candidate. You know, this is the time to pick up the movies you uh, remember or missed. And being there, being there is used when people ask me what's my favorite movie, uh, I would often say being there. Mm -hmm. It hasn't quite passed the test of time because they can't find out anything about uh, the character's identity. But uh, but I I think it's really forward thinking. So let's see, what are your best bets this weekend? Jen? In addition to the things I already mentioned, I've mentioned this show before, but it's worth recommending again, and that's uh, Pen15 on Hulu. Mm -hmm. uh, By the way, a friend of mine explained the title. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't need to do that here because I think no, no, people but... figure it out. <laughs> Uh, it's with Maya Erskine and, and Anna Conkle playing their middle school selves, even though they're in their early 30s at this point. It's actually, it's, it's a funny show, but it, especially in the second season, it's it's kind of goes to some heartbreaking and, and very real places. So I highly mm -hmm. recommend that. Uh, I'm going to recommend, again, I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix. It's, uh, you know, if you miss that kind of movie that uh, movie fans used to love, uh, that's good. And I'm a fan of Fargo. And I do uh, plan to watch Saturday Night Live this Saturday. I'll be interested to see how that works. Jen, have a good week. And uh, Louie, any final words for us? Well, after that interview with Linda Carducci, the morning host on uh, Classical 90.9 WETA, I thought we would wrap up the show, Arch, with a number one song from 1976. Uh -huh. It was by uh, a guy named Walter Murphy, and that was the disc. That was right in the height of the disco period, or towards the end, I should say, of the disco period. And he did a version of Beethoven's Fifth. 
The fifth of Beethoven. The fifth of Beethoven. Uh, on the rocks. A fifth. So we'll wrap up the show with that, and we'll catch you next time around. This is the CATS Podcasting System.